Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 112. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And now, more than any other time, now is still a time to stay vigilant. Folks, as I told every world leader I've ever met with over the years, it's never, ever, ever been a good bet to bet against America, and it still isn't. We're the United States of America. There's not a single thing, nothing, nothing beyond our capacity. We can do whatever we set our minds to if we do it together. So let's begin to get together. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. That's how President Joe Biden ended his historic, unusual, and pivotal address to the joint session of Congress. Thank you for your patience. That's how he ended it. And that's maybe the most striking part of what he said. Thank you for your patience. After all we've been through over the last four years, and after all we've been through over the last year especially, America was in the roughest place of our lifetime. And we hit rock bottom on January 6th, 2021, the day insurrectionists took over our capital. That was the low point for America in our lifetime. And damn, it was low. But Biden's speech laid it all out. And here's the headline for his speech. And for this moment, and for this pivotal time in American history. We're bouncing off bottom. That's where we are. We're bouncing off bottom. Finally, America is bouncing off bottom. And his speech didn't just promise it or declare it. His speech showed it. And it was an excellent speech. And he shared undeniable and incredibly impressive results after just 100 days. The speech had a respectful, thoughtful, powerfully American message and showed we're bouncing off bottom. I've been a guest at two State of the Union addresses, and they were two of the most humbling, most amazing, most weird most frustrating experiences of my life all at once. It's like all that's great and terrible about America and American politics all in one event. And this one was different. Everyone is different, but this one was really different and maybe more important than any we've ever seen. Even as most Americans, and maybe you, didn't even see it. And here's what I think you need to know. It was definitely different. National Guard troops were staged outside and inside Members of Congress were six feet apart, and they had masks on. Now, members of Congress made quieter by masks, definitely an upside of this unprecedented format. Secretary of Defense Austin and Secretary of State Blinken were in attendance, but the rest of the cabinet was not. That meant there was no designated survivor, which probably ruined that D.C. and Twitter drinking game for many. And history was made in a lot of ways, but one that was most notable. Vice President Kamala Harris and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi bumped elbows right before President Biden's joint address. And for the first time in American history, 
two women were standing behind our president as he gave a State of the Union. And nobody's earned that moment more than this president. No matter what party you claim or don't, you got to admit it. Biden's political life has been a demonstration in resilience. His personal life has been too. And it was a very patriotic speech, but refreshingly and in a good way. He talked about the incredible progress on the pandemic and how many people have been vaccinated. He introduced his massive infrastructure plan, which I think is essential because outside of a military draft, there's nothing that will bring Americans of different backgrounds together more than a massive infrastructure plan. And nothing will help Biden reach more Republicans and independents. It'll also help him combat domestic extremism. I've said it before. Give people an opportunity. Give them shovels. And some, maybe not many, but some, will put down the guns. An infrastructure plan of this scale is more than about bridges and ramps. It's about on-ramps into the future. And looking to the future, Biden also introduced what he called the American Families Plan, which was big and guaranteed four additional years of public education for every person in America. Four more years, but not political years, education years. He proposed two years of universal, high-quality preschool for every kid in America and two years of free community college. This was huge, groundbreaking, pivotal. This will be the smartest and most transformative education investment in America since the original GI Bill. He also talked intelligently and thoughtfully about national security and about international relations. And he laid out the threats clearly, saying the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today is from white supremacist terrorism, which is exactly right. White supremacist terrorism is our single most urgent national security threat right now. It's not ISIS or Al-Qaeda. It's 2021, not 2001. And he promised to end the war in Afghanistan. That's nice to have a president say he's going to end the war in Afghanistan and sound like he really means it. Of course, we'll see what happens. But it was also nice to have a president that respects our allies again. It's nice to have a president who understands equality again and that we're all Americans. He said, your president has your back. A historic, moving, urgent, and overdue message specifically to trans Americans, which is important especially to kids. It's nice to have a president who takes no shit from Russia again. He talked in a calm, warm, intimate way. And he ended it all with that patriotic, emotional clip I played to start the show. And I'll admit it. He got me choked up. That speech was exactly what we needed. And it's nice to have a president that our kids can watch again. A president who told them, we're bouncing off bottom. We're not back yet, but we're on the comeback and gaining steam fast. And we have the right guy out in front. But it's up to us. And he stole my line. He said it. We, all Americans, must stay vigilant. And together, he emphasized it, together, if we work together, if we're united, then we can bounce off bottom. And we need to, because this is our time. This is our calling. This is our moment. 
and stakes have never been higher. But how do we do it? How do we bounce off bottom? Can our politics do that? Can the Democrats do that? Can the Republicans be a part of that? Are independence the key to that? We've got the perfect guest for this moment to break it down and debate with me about the road forward. We've got one of the most influential, one of the most well-known, one of the most impactful, one of the nicest political strategists of our time, Paul Begala. She was gone, long gone this morning. She left a note, said I'm out of here, adios, my dear. And that was all she wrote. America is bouncing back. And Paul Begala is a guy who knows about fighting back. He's a guy who knows what it takes. He's a guy who's been in the war room. And he's a guy who understands what it means to bounce off bottom. Till I hit a rock bottom and I cranked it up. He led a political candidate in one of the biggest bouncing off bottom campaigns in history. He was the chief strategist to the 92 Clinton-Gore campaign, which carried 33 states and made Bill Clinton the first Democrat to occupy the White House in 12 years. After Clinton was elected, he worked inside the White House, coordinating policy, politics, and communication. Begala is also well-known as part of the political consulting duo Carville and Begala, alongside fellow Clinton advisor, Marine Corps veteran, and most watchable guy on TV, James Carville. They were the Batman and Robin of politics in America for decades. Paul's also been a fixture in the political media. He was co-host on the political debate program Equal Time on MSNBC from 1999 to 2000 with Oliver North. More on that coming up. I'm not a fan. He was also co-host on a similar program, the controversial, infamous, infuriating Crossfire on CNN from 2002 to 2005. And he was on Crossfire with the one and only Tucker Carlson. But you know Paul from CNN and as a Democratic political pundit, he's also a professor of policy at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy. Paul Begala is a patriotic American. He's a gun owner. He's a farmer. He's a lover of beer. And he's a bigger lover of Texas. And a very proud husband and father of four. And in his own way, even partisan Paul Begala is an independent American. And he joins us on Zoom from his farm. We're going to break down Biden's speech and his first 100 days. We're going to talk about if the Democrats are winning or losing and what things are going to look like in the days ahead. I'm going to ask him, can Matthew McConaughey win as governor in Texas? We're going to talk about partisan versus tribalism. And he's going to tell me what he thinks is the true future of independent and unaffiliated politics. I'm going to ask him about Carville's recent comment saying that Dems are too woke. And we're going to talk about cursing, drinking, and Twitter. Paul Begala is a master of American politics, and he'll give us a masterclass and a feisty and friendly debate about how and if Biden and all of us can master American politics, how we can be the greatest generation that we need, and how we can all be a part of the great American recovery, how we can all bounce off bottom. 
I've been privileged to know Paul for over a decade. And we're going to chop it up in a fun, warm, thoughtful conversation that you're going to want to talk about and share. The first 100 days of the Biden administration are down. The pandemic is on the run. Trump is off the radar. The vaccines are going in. The jobs are coming back. The masks are coming down. And hope is in the air. And Independent Americans is again bringing the light to contrast the heat of the other political pods. This is not crossfire. And we're going to bring the power of the righteous media five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And we're bringing you a conversation about this moment, about this challenge, and about this future that we all face. A conversation to test you, to enlighten you, and to help you stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is still the price of freedom. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. And Paul Begala will give you hope. Whether you're a Democrat like him, a Republican like his friend Karl Rove, or an independent like me. Independent Americans are growing all across America. But what can we really do? What can we win? What can we change? Paul and I discuss, and we duke it out a bit, like friends do. Like politicians used to do. Like Americans can and must do. If we show respect, kindness, empathy, and unity. And if we stay vigilant, stay vigilant about fighting the haters, the trolls, the bullies, and the algorithms that would do us harm and impede the height and distance of our bounce. America is bouncing off bottom, but how high and far will we bounce? That's not up to Joe Biden. That's up to us. And it's a reminder that now more than ever, we must stay vigilant. Welcome to a masterclass on the state of politics in America. Welcome to an exploration of patriotism, partisanship, family, country, and hope. Welcome to a discussion that is refreshingly hopeful, respectful, supportive, and forward-looking. Welcome to The Bounce. Welcome to America Bouncing Off Bottom. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 112. Crank it up. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. I am very happy and honored and humbled to have a very special guest joining us, a man that I have known uh, casually, indirectly, in passing, admiringly for many, many years, uh, a guy who I think continues to be a really important voice of, of reason and conscience, especially in these crazy and dynamic political times, and also just a fascinating human to talk to and interact with and, and be friends with. The great and powerful Paul Begala finally joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, my friend. Paul, thanks for, for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I was trying, I don't know when we first met because we've been in passing probably in CNN hallways and other places, but was it maybe when you were, when we first got in direct contact, when you were helping my friend Tommy Sowers out? I think so. Yeah, Tommy, uh, uh, a nearly perfect person, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> 
a heroic soldier, a terrific professor. Now he's a Duke. I'm sorry to say. Right. Uh, <laughs> but he ran for Congress uh, and it, it did not go well back in uh, Cape Girardeau, southeast Missouri. Not uh, he ran as a Democrat. He is a Democrat and uh, not. But yeah, but he he gathered a really eclectic group of supporters for a really impossible mission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you were the there. The show is called Independent Americans. I wonder how it might have been different if he had run as an independent because he was a Green Beret, West Point yeah. professor who ran as a Democrat in Rush Limbaugh's home district. Right. And, and, got and put slaughtered. up a heck of a fight, but 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 got beat pretty, pretty badly. Right. 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 He did everything right, except he picked the wrong district. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just they're not going to elect a Democrat in southeast Missouri. And, and in a statewide office, you know, maybe maybe he fares better. Right. I mean. You know, now we've got talking and we're already jumping into this so much. I want to cover. I want to cover, you know, the, the national political scene. I want to cover the media. I want to cover Biden and, and how he's doing. Mm -hmm. I'm really uh, uh, excited about getting your insights on the topic. We've explored a lot. Independent politics in yeah. America, unaffiliated it's the state of the parties. Um, but but bringing it all the way back, uh, I ask every guest, Mr. Begala, where are you and how are you? It's been a wild year. Where are you and how are you and the people close to you after one year of this pandemic and everything else? Well, thanks. I am in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, uh, 100 miles from D.C. It may as well be a million. Uh, the county where I am sitting, 71 percent of my neighbors voted for Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that's good for the soul. We, we have this farm. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Texas. My wife is an army brat, but she her family were dairy farmers in Wisconsin. So it was always our dream to have a little farm. And when COVID hit, we moved out to the farm full time and we did two things. We moved out to the farm and we drove to Texas and picked up Nana, my wife's mom, uh, who's 83 and just, you know, people make mother-in-law jokes. She's the joy of my life. We, mm. My wife and I have been together since we were 19. So she's known me nearly all of my life and, and I call her mom. So she's moved in with us uh, and she's got disability challenges that require uh, caregiving. And so my wife's taken that on and it's just been great. I hate to. I, I feel guilty saying this, but like the, we have four boys in their 20s. They come and go, but they come and we literally were working the farm where my wife's got chickens and ducks. I've got two Texas Longhorn steers I bought as a gift to myself, uh, a couple of goats. Anyway, we, we, we're living the dream. We're loving it. I, I love it. I love it. And, and for folks that want to watch the video, you are fully adorned in Longhorn gear. You got the polo shirt on and the hat. Uh, I had to ask you if you were in Texas because you're so deeply connected to there. And I want to get into that. But you were you were raised in Texas. I think mm -hmm. you come from a Hungarian American family. Yes, too, like I do. Yes, right? I didn't realize you're Hungarian. Yep. Yep. My grandparents, two of my, two of my grandparents came from Hungary. And do you know and, where? Uh, yeah. Uh, outside of Budapest in a place called St. Goodhart. That actually is no longer there because it got annihilated in the bombings during the war. Oh, God, this is a crazy story. But uh, but uh, we both have, you know, that that connection. Um, yeah. but going I've, I've been back. I, the, the, the Begalas, as they're called over there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it came from a little town called Sharash Potak, which means muddy brook. And there's a little creek there and it's muddy, but it's in it's up by the Slovakian border. There's another little town my folks come from called Shataraya Wilhelm. And that's right on the Slovakian border. They were uh, peasants and they grew grapes and made wine. And uh, I've been there I, 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 right to where my great grandparents came. My grandmother emigrated mm -hmm. and her family. Were there, and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful there. It, um, it, it really is. I, one of the joys of my life was I, I got a chance to take my mother there for the first time. It was the first time she'd been to Europe. Mm -hmm. She went back, went back to the place where her mother was born. But I think that immigration story 
Uh, and, you know, I, I love the accent because I hear my Nana in your accent when uh -huh. you say the names of towns. Right. And she spoke Madhyar when I was growing up in the house and we had, you know, all the food. But that, that immigrant experience, I, I never really appreciated how much it shaped my understanding of America until maybe the last right. five years or so. And that's really, you know, formed like a spine of my understanding of patriotism and country. But I want to get to a question I ask of all our people. Way, way back, Machine, you're growing up in Texas, uh, you know, and, and we'll talk a lot about Texas today. What was your first car, Paul Begala? Oh, my God. My first car was great. You're going to be jealous. It was a 1970 Chevy Malibu, red, two-door, dueled out, that bought from my high school buddy, Stan Brzezink. Um, his girlfriend, Kim, kind of came with it. She liked the car better than Stan or me. So I dated Kim for a little while, but I kept the car for a long time. And of course, the car had a name. He was, his name was John Henry. And he was like, for a small town boy in Texas, this was the loudest, pretty fast car, but it was louder than it was fast. Can you imagine rolling up now that I'm a dad rolling up in front of a girl's house at age 17? I, I, I was working at the hardware store saving my pennies. And uh, my dad took me down to the First National Bank of Stafford, Texas, where Mr. Broom was the vice president. I still remember sweating bullets. And he loaned me the kingly sum of $1,200. I saved $300. And the car was $1,500. And Mr. Broom lent me $1,200, which I dutifully paid back for my earnings at the hardware store. That, that did not disappoint, Paul Begala. <laughs> it was a great car. I'd give anything to get John Henry back. <laughs> well, and I love that it has a name. My, my kids have named uh, my car slash truck. All the cars have names and, and they've called it Black Jack Thunder is what Ooh. they've called my, my car. Uh, and all our cars have names. But let me ask you, John Henry, what shade of red was it? Was it like an Alabama red or what, what shade of red? A little, little browner, a little, had a little more, I hate to say maroon because that's the rival school, Texas A&M. It's the uh, remedial college we have. Uh, <laughs> it's so cute. They, they're just the sweetest little people. But it's, it wasn't maroon. It was red, but it had a little more of that kind of brown uh, hue to it. Mm. And, and oh my God, that car was just just the best. Okay. So the other question I've got to ask, I ask of all of our guests, you're, you're taking a sip also from a longhorn glass. Right. Like they should, I'm easy to buy for Paul. They, they should, they should, <laughs> they should, they should pay you for the sponsorship. But, uh, what, what is your drink or cocktail of choice, Paul Begala? Oh, definitely Shiner Bach beer. It's a beer from central Texas. It's only brewed in Shiner, Texas by the Cosmos Spetzel Brewing Company since 1869. It is the best stuff in the world. It's a nectar of the gods. Uh, occasionally I brew my own. We grow some hops on the farm. Uh, I, my, my, uh, uh, my brother-in-law is, a, he's a, he's an engineer and a genius and a scientist. So he was teaching me how to brew. And, and, uh, once in a while we'll, we'll brew some beer of our own here with our homegrown hops, but that's special. Every, my everyday beer. And it is every day. Uh, Shinerbach. I, I love Shinerbach. Every time I go to Texas is one of the first things I get. Um, you know, I have, I feel like every time I'm in Austin, I have to go to the continental and have a oh. Shinerbach. Oh my God. Like the one, continental one my I, I had some great dates with my wife there. And oh. back when she was my girlfriend, I think, uh, oh my gosh, we got to get, we, we need to take a road trip. I, my son, Billy lives in Austin and, uh, uh, my son, Charlie is visiting him there right now. And I have tons of family in Houston and Austin. And I go there as often as I can. I haven't been in a year, but uh, I, I go very frequently. I, I love Texas. I went frequently in my work at IAVA. I probably went to Texas more than almost anywhere else in America. 
Um, and, and when we take this show back on the road again, I want to do a live show at the continental. I want to do live shows uh-huh. in other places. Maybe you can come and join us, but let's stay on the topic of Texas. I want to bounce around a little bit, but, um, what the hell is up with Texas? Texas is such a great place, right? I'm a New Yorker. I have pride for my state. I love Texas. One of my favorite states, but it, it, Texas is too great to have such terrible leadership in Cruz and Cornyn and Abbott. And now you've got, uh, you've got Matthew McConaughey, maybe throwing his yeah. in the ring. We had Darren Walker on this show. I tried to encourage him to run. Uh, but like on a no shit, sir, like this, this kind of is a reflection in some ways of what's wrong with our politics. Like, right. why can't Texas do better than these three knuckleheads? That's a great question. First, I, I, I have to confess, Darren and I are college buddies. And so we go back 40 years almost. And I loved him then and love him now. And he is one of the most extraordinary Americans. If you had known Darren in college, this is the early 80s. He was straight out of Brooks Brothers. Every day, impeccably dressed. I thought he was a rich kid. Mm. His mother used to get hand-me-downs from the rich folks in town and put him in it. And he, he was, even then, he was impeccably turned out. He was really a uniter. Uh, and, a, and a, you know, we were terribly divided then, but it was still, it was not as bad as today, but still very much wanted to bring people together and had a great faith in the power of the arts to transform. Uh, I was in student government. I was a little more conventional. This is why Darren will never run for office, I promise. He, he changes the world in, I think, really sustainable ways by being outside the political system, essentially, and leveraging it. Um, but like one of the things he did, how subversive is this? He brought Palabolas, a dance troupe, to the student union. And everybody's like, okay, fine, it's dance, whatever. They danced naked. We had naked dancing in the student union because of Darren Walker. It was so great. And the the because and again, he was just uniting. He wasn't a radical. He was like this really lovely, interesting, brilliant guy who was always wanting to push the envelope because he thought, well, it's I mean, it was it was not pornographic dancing. It was a, mm-hmm. a very respected dance troupe. But part of their show was without clothes. Uh, anyway, Darren's the best. I'd vote for him tomorrow, but he'll never run. Matthew May. Uh, and, and that would be interesting. But I, I think what's going on in Texas it's always been a one party state. You know, you're talking about a third party or independent. I just want a second party. Mm. Um, since my, I told you my son, Billy lives here. He was born in 1995. That's a long time ago. He's 25 years old. About, uh, yeah, 25. And in those 25 years, the Democrats in Texas have won zero statewide elections. Zero. Ever. Not for railroad commissioner, agriculture commissioner, comptroller of public accounts, nothing. They're O for life in the last 25 years. So I think there may be something wrong with Brand D in Texas, mm-hmm. beginning with my party has to look at itself. They started to become competitive. Beto O'Rourke almost did it, um, running against Ted Cruz. But then you saw they fell way back. MJ Hagar, a veteran, badass, Billy worked for her, I'm biased. Uh, a, a wounded combat hero uh, and very much embodies, I think, true independence. She's not like a hardcore partisan. Right. But she got whipped mm-hmm. by John Cornyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, uh, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly interested in what the Republicans do wrong. I can't affect that as much as what the Democrats do wrong. So I watched the returns and it's the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, where I've spent a lot of time. I go hunting there. It's the most democratic place in Texas. Hillary Clinton won these counties 
by 50 and 60 points, a margin of 50 or 60. Not that she got 50 or 60. She got 80, 85. Biden won them by like two, Mm -hmm. three. It's the biggest collapse anywhere in America. The biggest partisan swing anywhere in America is in the most Democratic part of Texas, gone from Democrat to Republican. Why? I have to say privately, I called Carville. I thought it was fraud. It wasn't. It wasn't. But when you see that big a swing, you think, hey, somebody's cooking the books. I was totally wrong. And I didn't say it in public. I'm glad because I don't want to make un- unfounded accusations. But that was my first because it was so crazy. It was such a fall. No, it was real. So I looked into it. Uh, I, I called Billy, who was working there. I called Carl Rove, who is an old friend of mine, a premier Republican in Texas and maybe in America. Uh, and then I got the University of Texas to organize a focus group for me of students and recent graduates of UT Rio Grande Valley. So young people, not wholly represented, but the smartest, youngest people there. And this is what they told me. To a person, my Democratic son, my Republican friend, uh, Rove, these independents that the university gathered for me, they said, first off, the Democrats said they were going to ban fracking. And that's, that's one of the few, there's, it's the poorest place in America. And there's only a couple of ways out, the military, mm-hmm. the border patrol, fracking. And you guys were against all three. Now, I can argue, I know Joe Biden actually wasn't, and I, I, it, but this was the caricature my party allowed to thrive, not just exist. It was like a prairie fire it went through there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, so when you denigrate people who put on a badge and risk their lives uh, to secure the border, we have to secure the border, no question. When you uh, insult people who work in fracking, or say, I'm going to ban all of it tomorrow, which is nuts. You drive people away. Mm. And there's a final piece. And I did see those things coming. I did. It's a final piece I did not see. Democrats were a little too sanctimonious and smug about shutting down the economy. Okay, we, I think we had to do it. I think it saved lives. But it was painful. And I had one young person say to me, you know, my dad risks his life every day anyway. Mm. He's climbing up on a hot tar roof. Mm. So he climbs. He was. So people like me, right, who, who, who. Can't work at cable television, right? It's easy for me. I can do it from home. I never risk my life. It's not like Anderson Cooper's going to punch me in the face. (laughs) So we are so removed from their lives that we were not sufficiently respectful of people who were already risking their lives every day. And so uh, an invisible virus was not like the greatest threat in their life. And we were tone deaf. I'm not saying we shouldn't have lockdown. We had to save lives. But we were too tone deaf mm. about the, the, the pain and, and too sort of smug and judgmental and smarty pants about it. So, Paul, we've talked a bit in this show about how Texas in many ways is, is maybe a mirror or a warped mirror into where America is right now. Right. It, 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 maybe a bent mirror. We could stretch that analogy. But, you know, Carville obviously made some comments this week that's gotten a lot of attention where he yeah. said Dem- the Democrats have a wokeness problem. Right. And you're getting at some of this as well. I think they've got a toughness problem. They've always been right. losing on national security and defense. Now, maybe they've started to change that with people like MJ Hagar and Buddha Judge and Tammy Duckworth. But there's a kind of a core toughness problem that you've been battling, you know, your entire time as a Democrat. I'm an independent. And when I heard Carville, you know, how do you change this? He had, you know, he said they got to pick up the phone. They got to do. What about you cha- changing it by blowing it up? And what I mean is, uh, the Democrats have been kind of middling around the edges, trying to change their messaging, playing with people like Beto O'Rourke. Uh, 
Um, is it not maybe just swooping in and doing a Trump and saying, hey, McConaughey's our guy. He's got star power. He's got toughness. He's got sizzle. He's got energy. He will be bipartisan. And if they don't, like mm-hmm. is McConaughey, let's use him as an example, right? Jesse Ventura, so many others. Mm-hmm. If he runs as an independent, does Texas no longer become a one party state? Does that blow it up? It's fascinating. Uh, Matthew's a friend of mine. He's a very smart guy. Uh, he's a brilliant actor. He loves Texas. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know if he's going to run. I have no idea. And I haven't talked to him about it. Um, but maybe we like double conditionals in Texas. He might could pull it off. Um, I can't see anybody else doing it. It's, I think, uh, sort of a lightning strike the way Schwarzenegger was in California. California doesn't elect Republicans, but there they put. And by the way, he was a very independent, progressive Republican. Yeah. And I don't live there. Not my state. But I think he did a good job. He seems to be a good guy. I don't know. him, But that kind of much less partisan, but still, well, unifying not dividing, but not judging, right? Um, maybe, maybe, but he's going to have to flesh out. The, the, this is like the fundamental problem, though, with, with an independent political movement, is that some of us are like me. I'm a Democrat. I'm not an independent. I'm not even a little independent. Now, I have in my life voted for a Republican. I voted for John Warner once, uh, was former Navy secretary, great guy. Good man. And yep. A Republican senator. He was just a fine man and a great senator. But in the main, that's the only one I can think of. Uh, maybe by accident, I hit the wrong button. But I am a Democrat, Democrat, Democrat. Uh, and, and of course, there are people who are Republicans that way. We're just really hardcore partisans. That doesn't leave very much in the middle. I know every, people say, if you do a poll, everybody says they're, they're independent, like 45% or something. Yeah, but how do they vote? We just had 93% voting for either Team D or Team R. Let me ask you this, Paul, if I can, right? What we're seeing is, you know, 40% plus of the country calls themselves independent or unaffiliated, a growing percentage. A lot of folks are leaving the Republican Party now. For a long time, folks have said America is kind of a center-right country. Mm -hmm. Maybe now it's a center-left, but I think you have a center, and McConaughey could be not unlike Trump. I mean, Trump was independent unto himself. He had his own movement. He had his own brand. He blew up right. the system. Right. So are, are they and both- Trump tried to run as an independent a couple right. of times right. and failed. But they, but they both go back to the default because you can't run as an independent unless right. you're independently wealthy, unless you're Bloomberg or Forbes or somebody like that. But does that change with other X factors like celebrity or like unity? If you run McConaughey and The Rock and Oprah and five or six other people and they all say, screw the parties. And they're able to independently fund and you've got campaign finance reform and you've got uh, ranked choice voting and you've got public financing. Do all those things come together uh, to create more viable candidates? Somebody told me once, Paul, if you run a vet, a cop or a coach, it gets you five points in a congressional election. And that was probably a while ago, right, before cops and other folks had different <laughs> brands. But but there was there's that populism, right, that, right. That, that maybe is stronger than ever before. So is that another way that it could get blown up if, if Colin Powell had run as an independent? There are other examples along the way. If a couple of them get together at this moment, does that blow this up in a way it hasn't been blown up before? No. <laughs> no. It's like they, they, people say they're independent, but they don't vote independent. It's like I could say I'm a vegetarian, I'm right. a vegan and feel virtuous, but my ass is going to Whataburger. But is that because you don't have the option, right? If, if McConaughey's on the ballot, 
right? And you have an option. Yeah. Like a lot of folks are independent because they're none of the above. And, and you guys have been great about recognizing the flaws of the Democrat brand, Democratic brand now, Republican brand has got a problem right now. Ooh. It's not an option in most places to even you know, vote for an independent. If, if there are, right. if there is that option structurally, and because, I because the that, market's not there, okay. I believe I'm an institutionalist. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud citizen of the oldest democracy in the world, a proud member of the oldest political party in the world, a faithful member of the oldest Christian religion in the world. I've been married to the same girl for 31 years. I'm an institutionalist. Okay. That's me. That's how God made me. That's how I'm wired. That's how I choose to live my life. Right. Um, and most people are not that way. Okay. I understand that. I really do. But parties, I like, I've worked all around the world. I've worked in multi-party democracies and they flourish and they thrive. They drive me crazy, but they, they do work. So I'm not saying it's an impossible uh, uh, model. They, they seem to work better in parliamentary systems, if you ask me. You know, Israel. But even there, they, Israel can't decide what they want to do. They got like 20 parties. Um, so I don't know that that fixes everything. But parties can remake themselves. This is where independent pressure matters. Okay, uh, I'm in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna turn 60 years old. When I was born, the Democratic Party was the party of segregation. It was the party of the Ku Klux Klan. It was the party of lynching. It was the party of the most evil forces in American history. My party, my beloved Democratic Party. Guess what? In my lifetime, we elected Barack Obama. Mm. Parties can change. Mm. Okay, when you go from the party of being Bull Connor to the party of being Barack Obama, something's happened. And so I believe parties can revivify themselves. They can change. Um, the Democrats are going through this right now, in some ways, wonderful, in some ways, not. The wonderful ways is they are really embracing the diversity of America and its richness. And this is something my right wing friends don't get. They think that I'm for diversity because I'm politically correct or guilty. I'm none of that shit. OK, I'm not guilty about shit. And, and as you know, I'm a, I'm a gun owning, faithful Christian who loves the diversity of America. Why? Because I benefit from it. Okay, but I just had a doc cut a precancerous thing off my face. He's from Iran. I just had a dentist do my checkup. She's from Brazil. The lady across the street from me, who was one of my dearest friends, she was a boat person, came from Vietnam. They were set upon by pirates. She literally had the clothes on her back. You know what? She graduated first in her class at the University of Virginia. She's a freaking genius. I win from that diversity. That's what's great about the Democrats. Yeah. Okay, they've embraced that. I get, I get that, celebrate. Paul, and, I, and I, I've, I've been long an advocate of, you know, the military is no, no better example of why diversity is a strength, right? Right. But, but, but back to a core question. Yes, it's changing. Yes, it's changed. You're 60 years old. Is it changing fast enough for this America, right? Because the 25-year-olds may not be willing to wait that long and they can get 95 things, you know, 90 different kinds of the same chair on Amazon, but they yeah. only have one candidate to choose from. Is, is the earth moving under the parties mm -hmm. in a way that they are slow to recognize? Because, and let's talk about, you know, an increasingly independent part of this country, white men don't feel like they are welcome in the Democratic Party. Many of them that are, you know, left of center are not happy in the Republican Party. So that, and especially when you talk about national security issues like that, mm -hmm. there is a, a political jump ball that that exists. And it seems increasingly young people aren't willing to wait. So, so does that, does that, does that kind of create a different level of urgency and different opportunities, yes. especially at the local level where they don't yes. have to pick a party or you go to a yes. place like Maine, right? Where you, where you have different structures. 
Yes. And, and I think that's great. And then the parties then either adapt to that or they die. Right. Okay. Ross Perot got 19% of the vote. One out of five Americans voted for yeah. Ross Perot. You know how many electoral votes he got? Zero. Not a single one. So he effectively really got nothing. But what he did was pressure the winner, Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, uh, Perot was a hawk on the deficit. And Clinton was a little more moderate on the deficit. He promised to cut it by half. Guess what? He eliminated it entirely. In part because he was persuaded it was good for the economy, but also it was good politics. He wanted to eat into that Perot vote, and he did. Second time Perot ran, he got half as many votes because Clinton had kind of taken his half back. So they they can have, independent movements, independent candidates can have a, a salutary effect. But Teddy Roosevelt might have been the greatest politician in American history. He couldn't win as an independent. Okay, so if he can't. Yeah, but that, I appreciate you know. I appreciate the examples. And I want to do like a series just on this with you. OK, because I've been so looking forward to having you here to talk about this because of your mastery and because of your experience. But but maybe it's the wrong goal. Right. It's like is Evan McMullen winning the presidency the right goal or is it right. having all your local mayors be independents? Right. Having your judges be independents, like starting with mm -hmm. the grassroots, starting mm -hmm. locally, because all politics is local. Right. And, and maybe this will transition into into where we are with Biden, because I think we've got maybe the most moderate person since Clinton. Right. And mm -hmm. maybe the most progressive policies and, right. and agenda since FDR. Right. This is a moderate who's going to get through covid, probably get through infrastructure. He's going to introduce pre-K nationwide right. this, right. this week. So, um, you know, there's a really interesting moment happening right. with a progressive guy, with a moderate guy who might be the last moderate we see for a while, or he might be the future for the Democrats. We don't know. But can you can you step back and, and objectively evaluate Biden's first hundred days? Tell us what you think for America, not yeah. as a partisan, but as a guy from Texas, a father of four evaluate his first hundred days and this speech this week. We know what he's going to say. We know what he's going to do. Um, talk, can you, can you break that down from your perspective, please, Paul? Yeah, he has been remarkable and I, you know, I voted for him. Obviously I'm a Democrat and I've known him a very long time. Um, but even I who supported him thought he would be a transitional figure. Instead, he's been a transformational president and I didn't see that coming. And I, I think it's exactly what you say, Paul. He reassures moderates with his demeanor and his, you know, his respect, his empathy, his caring. And he excites progressives with his agenda. I think it's not for nothing. Here's my bias, and I do have my biases. He's the first Democrat who's been president who went to a state school since Lyndon Johnson. Wow. Okay, and I love President Clinton's my hero. He went to Georgetown, he went to Yale, Barack Obama went to Harvard and Columbia, and it, they're all great. And I love everybody. I, I respect those schools. I tremendous respect for those schools. But you know, you learn something at Delaware, in Newark. You learn something in Austin. You learn something in Ann Arbor. You learn something. You know, Fritz Mondale just passed away. He went to the University of Minnesota. And there is a, I, I hate to went to school. Say, went to school on the, went to school on the GI Bill, right? Right. And, and you got you also got Biden as the first. A uh, president who's had a child in combat in a generation. Right. right. And so he is rooted um, in the non-elite America. In a populist time, that's important. So he has a, an authentic sensibility. You know, my hero, President Clinton, he's, he used to say this. He, you know, his father died before he was born. His mother went to study nursing so she could support the family. 
and left him with his grandfather in Hope, Hope, Arkansas, where he had a little general store. It's the only person in the segregated town who would serve black people, and white people equally was Bill Clinton's grandpa. And Clinton used to say, my grandfather never finished high school, probably never went. He said, my grandfather taught me to look up to the people other people look down on. You know, that's what the Democratic Party needs. It's the Republicans need, but I'm not a Republican. Too many Democrats want to look down. You talked about those white men. Okay. We want to be too many Democrats are, are more comfortable in the faculty lounge than the factory floor. Hmm. Okay. And I come from a different Democratic Party. You know, my parents, we were certainly not poor, but they were very, we were right in a beating heart of the middle class. You know, my old man sold pipes and drill bits and stuff. He was a salesman in the oil patch. My mother never even went to college until her fifth kid went. She raised five kids and then she started college. Um, So I I come from those folks. And my my little town, Sugarland, Texas, was really right wing. Our congressman was Tom DeLay for 20 something years. So I grew up with people who today have a Trump flag in front of their house. And I love them. And that's like one of my tests. This is where I think your movement is really important. I want more independent voters rather than nonpartisan candidates, right? In other words, my test is you have to know, respect, and yes, even love someone who voted the other way. If you're a Trump person, you can't tell me, I love this cousin of mine. She voted for Biden. You know what? I have a lot less respect for you. If you're a Biden voter like me and you can't say my neighbor across the street still got his Trump flag up. I love that guy. Great guy. Then you're going the wrong way. I think the problem, put too fine a point on it, is not partisanship. It's tribalism and negative partisanship. Okay, so if you, uh, only one of my four boys went to University of Texas, I'm sad to say. But if you ask any of them, one went to William and Mary, one to UVA, one's still at James Madison, JMU. If you ask any of them, even the ones that didn't go to UT, what time is it? They say, daddy, it's quarter to one and OU sucks. <laughs> because Oklahoma sucks. Well, that's negative partisanship, right? They're not just for Texas. They're against Oklahoma because OU sucks. Well, that's, I save that for something really important, college football. I don't squander that on politics. I mean, this week I went on Anderson Cooper's show and praised Liz Cheney. Now, I I don't agree with Liz Cheney about anything. I didn't agree with her father, her mother. If she had an Aunt Trudy, I'd disagree with her. But she did things that I thought were patriotic you know, standing up to the, the insurrectionists and the white supremacists. And I have to admire that because her state, by the way, is mm. the most Trumpian in America. Mm. So you have to be willing, even the most partisan person yep. has to be willing to set that down. But I think what will move them is if more independent voters, more voters decide, I'm not just going to be anti-Pelosi or anti-McConnell. Yeah. I'm going to be for something. Yeah, that, that's what you know, I've been I've been saying a lot. You know, the most powerful party in America right now is no party at all. Right. And, and, and we we are a group of people that are not necessarily united on much. Right. Maybe we're united on a strong national defense or maybe things that people aren't thinking about, like legalization of marijuana, things that mm-hmm. issues that folks are not necessarily really fully comprehending that might actually unify huge groups of people. But I've, I've, I've said that I think this is an important time for Democrats and especially Biden to communicate to the hardest right people, the folks that are likely to be converted to extremism, to the Oath Keepers to take the hill, because it's kind of like Iraq right. after after Saddam's gone. You got diehards and you either give them a job or they have their gun. And if you don't give them an opportunity to be a part of the future and let them know that they are valued and there's an off ramp 
to extremism or an on-ramp right. to the future, then we're in a tough place. So I wonder, as we have Biden roll out the infrastructure bill, which I think is maybe the most important thing in that whole thing, I would right. rather have an infrastructure bill to fight extremism than anything else, because you give them opportunity, let them build a bridge, give them a way up to be a part of the future. But the question remains- well, I've heard you say this, Paul, set down your gun and pick up a shovel. That's it. That always, It's worked since the beginning of time, right? right. But, but the question is, can we message that from the Democratic Party? And I don't know if, if Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg are the future of your party, or if AOC and other folks are the future of your party. And that messaging collision is, right. is what makes me feel like, you know, you, Carville, they want to kick you guys out too and drag <laughs> it further to the right. So, so if, if, if I'm going to ask Carl Rove if he ever comes on my show, right? Um, why should I be a Democrat? I'm not a Democrat. I'm, I'm unaffiliated. Let's say I'm 18 years old or I'm 80 years old. Right. Why do you think right now someone should choose to be a Democrat and not stay unaffiliated? Because the Democrats have always been and always will be the party of the strivers, right? The party of the little guy, the little gal, the working person, who Bill Clinton called the forgotten middle class, right? That, that's always been, we created the middle class, the Democratic Party. Right. We created the weekend. Unions did. But Democrats uh, passed the laws that actually said, no, they can't work you seven days a week. Um, it's always been that we are the engine of upward mobility. And it, it, it you have to have that ladder to climb on. Right. And, it, and I told you about my grandmother from Hungary. She landed at Ellis Island. She didn't have a nickel in her pocket. She never got past probably fourth or fifth grade in, in school. Um, but she she knew she wanted to be free. And, you know, she lived to see her son, my daddy, go to college and be a salesman. Her grandson go to law school and advise a president. Well, and I got to take her to the Oval Office and President Clinton couldn't have been nicer mm. to her. Well, my obligation then, what do I owe for that unearned blessing? People nowadays call it privilege, and I, I understand that. I'm a person of faith. I consider a blessing more powerful and unearned. What do I owe? Well, what I owe is the granddaughter of the next immigrant maid who's got the same language skills as my grandmother and the same education level and the same dreams as my grandmother. It is the Democratic Party through public education, good jobs, treating working people with dignity, opening up the doors of opportunity to hated, previously hated minorities. Those things are the engines of the American dream. Those things are why we have a Democratic Party. Mm. Mm. There's my commercial. No, I think it's a it's 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 a question that I think is is really important for anyone who decides to pick a party to answer. Why am I here? Right. Like, why did I choose to fly that flag? Because right. at a time when the symbolism is being is being hijacked in so many different ways. Right. The American flag is perceived differently than it was 20 years ago. Right. Especially among young people. Like I'm finding a lot of people who are having a hard time flying, flying the American flag. And I'm trying to wow. convince them to take it back and say, it's your flag. It's our flag. It's the flag I, that I wear a flag lapel pin on my uh, suit every single day that I'm on television, every single day that I go anywhere. And I did have one guy, just some guy as an airport or something. It's like, what are you on the other side now? Cause he's a liberal, right. but that's, that's the problem. Right? My father was buried under that flag. Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding. And that and that, that's the problem with with where we are right now. But I, I guess what I'm also what I want to just pin one more piece on this, if I can, Paul, that's a great case for what Democrats have done before. 
Right. And I don't think any Republican is going to say they're not for the little guy or they don't want to support upward mobility. Or they, that's that, that's what they both strive for. And they're going to pick the points on the board from the past. But the both parties are going to be defined most most, I think, most distinctly by their leadership. So when you look beyond Joe Biden, if you got to pick one person to be the brand, who's it going to be? Oh, gosh, I can't pick just one. I mean, obviously, the, 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 the vice you're gonna be in that room, man. You the, might the vice. Pre- no, no. The vice president is the first among equals. Right. Okay. She's she's got the, the support of the yeah, president, right, the support right. of the party. I'm not saying she's running for anything else, sure. but I think she's serving very ably right now. And she's impressed me. She ran a terrible campaign. She did. Guess what? So did Joe Biden when Barack Obama picked him. She did. Yeah. You know, did. Joe ran twice before, never got a single That's delegate. Right. So I don't think it's, in fact, I think it's a good thing. One of my early mentors in politics was Governor Bob Casey, Robert Patrick Casey Sr., the governor of Pennsylvania. And he had run three times before and lost. And all the smart guys and the Ivy Leaguers used to call him the three-time loss from Holy Cross. And Casey embraced it. He used to Mm -hmm. say, you know what? The view from the canvas is highly educational. I've been knocked on my ass. You bet I have failed. And if you have too, you know I'm going to be in your corner. I'm going to help lift you up. So anyway, uh, the fact that Kamala ran such, but I, I want to watch and look at that field. Joe Biden won in the most impressive field I think Democrats have ever put on the, we've talked about uh, now Secretary Buttigieg. Um, if you looked at Senator Sanders, Senator Warren uh, from, you know, coming from the left, if you looked at uh, uh, Michael Bennett, who, who, you know, ran his center from Colorado is much more moderate. Uh, Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana at the time. I get, I get that. I get that, sir. But also, I think Democrats were a lot more impressed by that field than everybody else. <laughs> like, with all due respect, right? Like, that was, it was a diverse field. There were many viewpoints represented. But I, I still felt like you had a couple of, num- you know, number eight and nine hitters in that lineup that, 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 that weren't, you know, in, they weren't murderers row. Right. And, and I keep looking at how many leaders are, are still on the sidelines. Right. Like our friend Westmore was on this show. Mm-hmm. I hope he runs in Maryland. He, in my opinion, is a once in a generation talent. There are a lot of folks that are still on the sidelines that I think, you know, five, 10 years from now that have been working in, in Katrina. They've been in Iraq and Afghanistan. They've been on the front lines of covid. I think there's like a second tier or third tier coming that's really going to impress us. Kind of like the World War II generation that came home that just frankly has been through more shit right. than this generation of leaders. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But let, let me ask you a couple of key questions I ask every every guest because I don't want you to, to miss these. I ask everybody. This, this show used to be called Angry Americans. Right. You say if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. You're a guy who channels anger and other emotions and puts them into positive impact, but you have a, a beating heart and you're an emotional guy. Paul Begala, what what makes you angry? Bullies. Mm. Bullies, Paul. I fucking hate a bully. Excuse my language. It's the worst thing you can do. Here, I have been blessed. And and, and, uh, I've I've been, you know, I used to start every day in the Oval Office. I've Mm. literally been near the pinnacle of power. And when when somebody uses power to hurt a vulnerable person, and there's people who have microphones like you who do not use it the way you do to bring people together, to bubble up new ideas, to bring uh, unconventional voices in. They use it to bully. And I hate it. And I, I just hate it. I, all my life, I've hated a fucking bully. And that's the worst thing you can do. If you have gifts from God, if you have blessings from God, if you have power from people or even from the Almighty, and you use that to harm vulnerable people, you're scum. I really appreciate you saying that. So let me ask you a, a general question. 
there are still a lot of bullies out there. Yep. And a lot of them have microphones. You used to have a show with uh, Ollie North. I did. So I don't know if anybody was a bigger asshole to me on <laughs> television than Oliver North. Is that right? Absolutely. I was on, I think I was on Hannity and he was guest hitting for somebody, but like consistently he had me on a show and he would be an asshole to me. Right. And just, and just, that was my experience. Right. But there are a lot of folks that are rude, that are disrespectful, mm -hmm. that are pushing misinformation to the point where 40% of the Marines won't take the vaccine. Uh, how do we combat that? I mean, ch change the channel. Yes. Get Fox News out of the chow hall, the Marine Corps. Yes. But every time I go to Twitter, I'm like, what asshole are we all talking about now? It's because one asshole left the biggest asshole of all. Now this swarm has to just talk about another asshole. How do we move past the obsession with giving these bullies so much oxygen? Right. I don't know is the honest answer. Um, I, I think there was a hearing in Capitol Hill this week about the algorithms. These algorithms feed the dark side. Mm. It, it, now, we're all wired to process negative information more rapidly. You know this from the military. Okay, if you're walking along on patrol and there's a little lovely butterfly over there, but then there's perhaps an insurgent over there, I know where your eyes are going to go, Paul. Right? It, that's how we're wired. That's why, that's why we're the dominant species. And so I accept that and I embrace that. But the algorithm, though, takes that negativity to a completely different level. I tried an experiment, Paul. I'm not, I've never been on Facebook in my life. They could, they could abandon Facebook tomorrow. I'd be happy. I couldn't give a rip. But I'm on Twitter. As you know, we follow each other on Twitter. And I'm a reasonably active tweeter. And so I did something. My wife is the best person I know. And, and I, I believe me, I've talked to God about this. And he's told me the only way you're getting into heaven, Begala, is if your wife gets a plus one. She's that good. <laughs> so Diane had this interesting idea for Lent. We're Catholic. I, I always give up something, cursing, which I love, drinking, which I love, uh, and sometimes Twitter, which I love, even though it's bad for me. All three are bad for me. This year, she said, here's a challenge. Post something positive on Twitter every single day. So every single day for 40 days and 40 nights, I posted a tweet that began with three words. People are good. I saw that. Yeah. And here's an example. Well, I, well during the impeachment trial, I tweeted things that I thought were relevant about why I thought Trump was guilty. And it would get like 50,000 likes. I got like 250,000, 230, I think, 230,000 followers. So that's a big deal for me. But that's wholly negative. I think it's valid opinion, but it's a negative opinion. Trump's guilty and here's why. During Lent, I rarely got 100 people to like any of these good news stories. And it wasn't just me blandly saying people are good. It was about kids in a school who chipped in and bought a car for their janitor, right? It was about a Girl Scout troop in Des Moines who formed themselves living in a homeless shelter and then set the record for selling cookies, right? It just leaves there. I believe people are good. I really believe it. I mm -hmm. especially believe Americans are good. And so I wanted to highlight that. And that, so I, I called a buddy of mine, Bill Burton. He was President Obama's spokesman, a brilliant guy and really knows media far better than I do. And he follows me on Twitter. We talk every day. He said, I haven't seen it once. I haven't seen any of them. I said, why? He said, because the algorithm is not promoting it. The algorithm doesn't want you and Bill and my other friends to see good news about strangers. Right. And so I think that's part of the problem. I think that's, that's right. I think that's right. I mean, I appreciate that because I'm, I've been using the hashtag look for the helpers. 
I love trying that. to highlight helpers, right? Folks that are courageous and going into the fight. And, you know, I've also been, you know, using the hashtag, our enemies are celebrating. Every time Trump would do some dumb shit that would expose our national security, I try to do that. But, but I think you're, you're right about that. And I've been trying to add light to the contrast to heat. I think every one of us can make that conscious choice to mm-hmm. you know, fight the algorithm, fight the instinct and try to add light, especially now instead of heat. But let me ask you to build on that with the question I ask of all of our guests. You're a guy who has positivity. You've been through a lot. Uh, political fights, personal fights. You're on TV interpreting all this madness for America. Uh, Paul Begala, what makes you happy? Oh, my sons. I have the best kids in the world. Everybody loves their family, and I, I, I know that, and I, I respect that. But, man, you'll meet them someday. The, the, each one, I'm like 5'8". Each one is six one to 6'3". They're giants, and they're beautiful, and they're brilliant. They're all getting into politics, Paul. Mm. in different ways, but they're all getting into public service or politics. And they, uh, you know, your kids are still little. And when they're little, it's all like you giving to them. Mm. And it teaches you uh, uh, selflessness. It gives you, I think, a hint of a shadow of a window of the perfect love that God has for all of his children. Mm. And it's hard for me as a human to imagine that, like much as I love them, that's how much God calls me to love everybody else. So it teaches you about selflessness. It teaches you about patience. But then they cross this Rubicon. They become young men. All four of my boys in their 20s. They're a lot smarter than me. And they're smarter than me about politics, which I've spent my whole life in. I've taught for 20 years. They're really smart. I call them. I told you, like, I wanted to know what happened in Texas. And Billy had to explain it to me. Um, they, they, they are more technologically proficient, obviously. But they're really, they have deep keel. And they care desperately about, especially racial justice. They grew up in the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. Their high school was about a third African-American. They all went to Gonzaga, the Jesuit school on the hill. Yep. In fact, I introduced you to my son, yep. Charlie, the, one time. The IAVA office was right across the street from right. the football field. We used to talk about that. I remember, yeah. Yeah, and I you ran, I ran into you at the Auburn Payne there, right next to Gonzaga. Yep. I could Gonzaga. see the practice from the old window of the IAVA headquarters. And you yep. saw two of my boys were football players, two were yep. baseball, and one was a rugger. Um, but... But, you know, that that school required service and it required service first in the community. Mm. And it's the only school in America with a soup kitchen in its basement. Hmm. So they had a lot of African-American friends and they have. And I grew up in an integrated school and in an integrated town and their perspective. uh, I I heard your conversation with Bartundi, their perspective on race is so much deeper and richer and uh, more sophisticated than mine. And so they're still, they teach me. That's, that's what makes me happy is that I, I have, I have these very nearly perfect boys entirely because of their mom. As an army brat, MBA squared away, you know, they're the reason that those kids are so great. And they're, they're, she's the reason they're so tall. My wife's like five eleven. <laughs> I told the priest in the pre Cana ceremony, he had us write a sheet of paper what you want out of this marriage. And um, I was really surprised my wife and girlfriend was writing adventure and all this stuff that I didn't really think because she's the stable one. And so I thought, well, that's good. I can give her that. I can give her instability. Um, and I wrote one thing and I filled the whole sheet of paper, tall kids. Hmm. And the priest is like, this is not a game, son. I said, father, if that woman gives me tall kids, I will never leave her. <laughs> And she's done it. She's fulfilled her. So anyway, I could go on and on. I was we'll, gonna we will go to Austin I want and hang out with my boys and you will love them. 
I love Austin so much. Uh, my wife thought about moving there for a while. And there's a lot about, uh, you know, I go to Texas all the time. I have so many dear friends there. Um, and I feel like, you know, to the outside of Texas in liberal America, people have this terrible idea of Texas in the same way some folks in Texas do of Democrats. But maybe, <laughs> you know, that whole insight is an insight into the, the road forward. And you've been uh, an incredible voice for for really a whole generation. Like, you know, I grew up watching you and learning from you and uh, and, and being inspired by you. And I think there's a, there's a point that I want to make sure I, I, I recognize, which was your kindness. You've always been very yeah, kind. Thanks. You've always been very generous. You've been supporting folks who are trying to make it and trying to make an impact. And that's that that's a kind of service that is very noble and very needed right now. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, I wish we could do this in person, but I'm going to present you some gifts virtually. Right. We used to do it in the classic car club. So we'll take a rain check on that. I got some. <laughs> I, I don't, you probably won't wear it, but I got independent Americans. gear. <laughs> Great. OK, we got new gear. You can rock the eye. I got the shirt on. I had the hat last week. We've also got the righteous shirts that are kind of so oh, cool. Yeah. Those in Austin. Um, we've got some Uncle Nearest, uh, the finest. Uncle Nearest Small Ooh. Batch Whiskey coming your way. The greatest. I'll share that with Carville. The great, you definitely. <laughs> and then, and then come on my show after you finish the bottle. He, oh, he'll definitely do it. Yeah, for that. Uh, he'll Carville joins us soon. And then the last, the, the gift is a question. We just passed Easter. I know you celebrated Easter with your family. Uh, but there are three colors of peeps here. Pink, yellow, blue. Paul Begala, which color peeps would you pick and why? Oh, you got to go blue. I'm a Democrat. See, I'm not, an, I'm not an independent. I'm a Democrat. I'm going with the blue peeps. I love it. I love it. I am so grateful for your friendship, for for your uh, for your contribution to this country, for your stories, man. I hope they do like five more movies about you guys. It'd be great if you if they got you guys with the War Room. Is that the film that I the, the yeah. film right with so many of y'all? They're doing so many different things now. It would be kind of cool to do a War Room reunion. Have they ever done that? Oh, in the past, but you know, people and film it. Like it's, after it's, you, after you have a bottle, have this bottle, <laughs> and then let us shoot it. <laughs> you know, I, I will say I'm proud of the work I did. I think you and others are leading us into a new greatest generation. I mean mm. that. I look at my kids. You you know these service members. I have two of my very best friends, and I won't say who. Two very powerful politicians, and their sons are both on active duty. One's in the Marine Corps. One's in the Navy. Um, you're leading something really important, Paul. And this generation, particularly the young people you talk to, particularly those who are first responders and service members, they're the greatest generation. I mean it. They're part two of the greatest generation. They're, they're more public spirited. They're less partisan. Like They're not like me. They're more like you. But they're, they're more public spirited. They're more selfless. They're more respectful of others. Uh, I just think, it, it, you know, the worst thing I can say is that some of them are a little too PC and empathetic and, you know, the pronoun police and all that shit. Okay. If that's the worst thing you can say is that they're overly concerned with not hurting people's feelings. Mm -hmm. That's pretty great. So yeah. I, I think we're watching something. I, 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 as I turn 60, I'm more optimistic now than I ever was when I was working in a white house or any other time, because I see what's coming. I really do. I, I dread what's happening and I hate what's happening, but I see what's coming. And I'm not kidding. My sons, your little guys, they're going to save us all. And you're going to be a central part I of that. I love that. I, I share that optimism. I think there is a next greatest generation, you know, after 9-11 experience in the pandemic, you know, the, okay. the war on terror, 
the insurrection, all of this, like it, it's, it's stealing them for the future fights. And that's the silver lining in my view. So I do think, you know, they're, they're the next greatest generation. America is a team game and we're all in it together. You're, you're in the hall of fame. The draft is coming up, the NFL draft, which I think is like one of the greatest American things to watch yeah. these kids and this and, and the draft is this weekend. So we're going to see a new generation of leaders on the forefront. But you're continuing to support a new generation of leaders. I wish you'd run for something in Texas. Anybody other than these guys, please. I'm, a, I'm an independent, but I'd vote for you if you ran against Ted Cruz. But until then, we're going to look for you on CNN everywhere you are. People should follow you on Twitter and follow the good stuff. If you see the good stuff he posts, like it, share it. The great and powerful Paul Begala. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend, here on Independent Americans. Paul, thanks a lot. Hook him. Stay vigilant. Thank you. Hook him horns. If you didn't know already, you now know. Paul Begala is a big University of Texas fan, and he's a big fan of America. And I am so grateful that he joined us. I've been wanting to get him on this show since I started it. I hope he'll come back and we can pick up where we left off. I also hope that Paul's teammate, James Carville, Corporal James Carville, United States Marine Corps, will join us soon. And I hope Carl Rove will join us too. I want experts and strategists from both sides to help us understand where we are in America. And I want both sides to be challenged. They appreciate it. I hope you appreciate it. They need it. You need it. I need it. America needs it. And this will always be a place that welcomes independents, but also Democrats, Republicans, and everyone in between and beyond. This show and this movement is a place where we come together, where we can come together to duke it out, but we will come together to share ideas, to share our passion for this country, and hopefully to find ways to move forward together on the things that we can across and around partisan lines, and toward the future. Whether you root for UT or Oklahoma, the New York Jets or the Las Vegas Raiders, you know that teamwork is key. Teamwork is key in politics. Teamwork is key in college football and in pro football. A good reminder is the NFL draft unfolds this week. But even more importantly, teamwork is key for America. We've got to come together and stay together even if only to fight the virus and to defend against our enemies whenever and wherever possible. Hope is the oxygen of our democracy, but teamwork is the special sauce. And we got to keep it pouring and flowing all across America. Teamwork and unity can be the ointment we need to defeat the virus, heal our wounds, and make us and this country we love stronger at the broken places. Teamwork can be that special sauce that brings us together, that keeps us focused, and helps America bounce off bottom and fly to new heights. We can be the next greatest generation that Paul and I talked about. Whether you're 17 or you're 70, the next greatest generation has to be all generations, together, teammates for America, defeating all opposition and putting us back on top and in a place where we can help others in places like India and beyond. That's what's happening now. After drowning for the last year especially, we're bouncing off bottom, blooming like a flower this spring and soaring into what could be the boom summer of 2021. After the hardest summer of our lifetime last summer, this upcoming summer 
can be the happiest, the best, the most hopeful summer of our lifetime. The opening and healing of America, the promise of that summer of love and fun and family and unity is what can drive all of us now and in the days to come. The hope for the future of America is more and more contagious by the day. And that hope is the oxygen of democracy. And that oxygen got us through life support last year and is fueling our healing now like a Tom Brady hyperbaric chamber. And it will fuel the fireworks, the happy family reunions, the July 4th parties, the weddings, and all the games, dinners, and celebrations to come. The hope is finally much more contagious than the virus. And hope inspires more hope. And it's not just contagious, it's winning. So be a helper. Help keep it spreading. We can all be like Paul Begala and all our recent guests, from Baratunde Thurston to John Bernthal to Wes Moore, who, by the way, just announced he's doing a movie version of his book, The Other Wes Moore, with another superstar, the one and only Steph Curry, basketball superstar for the Golden State Warriors. Curry's unanimous media is now focused on TV, film, documentaries, and podcasts, and he's teaming up with Wes Moore. So look out for that. That is a team of super spreaders of hope. And if you haven't heard our show with Wes or Bernthal, go back and check them out. And check out past shows with folks like Sarah Jessica Parker, Megan McCain, Investor Dean Kamen, Rex Chapman, and more. And like the hope, please spread this show wherever you can. And like every player who hopes to get drafted this weekend by the NFL. Like President Biden before his big speech this week. Like all of us, when we're outside now without a mask, take a deep breath and keep breathing. There is new CDC guidance. And if you're vaccinated and you're outside, you don't need to wear a mask. Unless you're in a crowd, of course. So go for a run. Walk in the park. Ride your bike. Play a game of pickup basketball. Sit on your roof. Do whatever you want outside and do it without a mask. After all that time wearing a mask, the air is definitely sweeter. So keep breathing. Come on. Keep breathing in that oxygen and that hope and encourage others to do the same. Now, please continue to wear a mask, of course, if you're at a concert or a football game or inside with mixed company. And as a coach, I still need to wear one when I'm out with my kids on the football and t-ball field. But the light at the end of the tunnel is here. And we got to pull everyone toward that light and leave no American behind. Be a helper. It's one team, one fight. Spread the light, the hope, the good information, and share the info about the latest CDC guidance. Share the info about vaccination sites, especially with older folks who might be having a hard time understanding or getting to them. And if you got the vaccine and survived, share that with others and post it on your social media. We can try to fight those algorithms that Paul talked about and share light to contrast the heat and the hate. And one more post about you getting the shot is one less tweet about some dumb shit that Tucker Carlson or Rick Santorum said. It's how we get America to better days ahead. We can all be helpers. It's the true spirit of America. And it's the winning team to be on. Helpers are the winners. Haters are losers. So listen to our helper and team captain, QB1, and number one overall draft pick, Fred Rogers, from the land of make-believe State University. Always look for the helpers. 
there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Helpers are ensuring that finally, hope is more widespread than the stupid. The stupid is no longer the norm. Now, it's an occurrence, like a storm once in a while. And hopefully, it'll be even less frequent, like the pink super full moon this week that happens only twice a year. That's what I'd like to see from America with regard to mentioning trolls like Tucker Carlson or Rick Santorum or now Rudy Giuliani. Let's move from hearing and talking about them every day to only talking about them a few times a year, like today, when we heard about Giuliani for the first time in a while. We heard about him because this morning at 6 a.m., federal agents executed a search warrant on his New York City apartment and his office. Oh, yeah. They got the search warrants as part of the investigation into whether Mayor Buttdial broke lobbying laws as President Trump's personal lawyer. Now, if you're a longtime listener of this show, you may remember my Rudy Buttdial story from way back in episode 28, the one with Mark Roberge from OAR. Go back and check it out. But so far, I am happy to report I have gotten no calls or butt dials from Rudy Giuliani or from the feds. But if they took his cell phone, no doubt they have my number. And no doubt they have the number for Rudy Giuliani's son, Andrew. You may remember Andrew from the days after 9-11. He was Rudy's young son who used to go to the Yankee games with him. He was played once by Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. Well, now that the Giulianis have succeeded in fully cursing my beloved Yankees into almost last place, Andrew Giuliani has emerged from the distant corners of your political mind to reemerge and reemerge better than ever. I can't make this shit up. Mind you, I'm speaking as a son and a concerned American. Anybody, any American, whether you're red or blue, should be extremely disturbed by what happened here today by the continued politicization of the Justice Department. This is disgusting. This is absolutely absurd. And it's the continued politicization of the Justice Department that we have seen. Yes, America, this is really happening. And so is this. I know, I just saw people. I probably saw FBI jackets, but I just saw people, you know, and I saw all of you and I, and, and I said, what is going on? That's Rudy Giuliani's colorful neighbor, a woman named Michelle Herbert. This lady held her own press conference outside Rudy Giuliani's building. And it was just amazing to watch and to hear. It was classic 2021. So things are looking up, America. There are things that we can smile about. Summer is coming. Schools are open. The vaccine is here. Restaurants are reopening. You don't have to wear a mask when you're doing CrossFit or running in a public place. Monster Jam is back. Cinco de Mayo is next week. A new season of Trash Truck is coming. And Rudy Giuliani might finally be going to jail. Things are looking up. And leaders set the example from all political, geographic, and social backgrounds. Some good, some bad. Leaders show that everyone can be a helper or be a criminal. And we finally have a president who is setting a good example. There are others that are following his lead. Nurses, community leaders, firefighters, politicians occasionally, and teachers. And of course, on the week of the NFL draft, coaches. There are coaches all across the country that are out there setting the example and helping. But few are finer than San Antonio Spurs coach 
Greg Popovich. He doesn't bite his tongue. He's another guy who I wish would run for office in Texas. And another guy who seems pretty independent. But no matter what party he ran for, and especially if it was no party at all, he'd have my vote. If Matthew McConaughey can run for governor, how great would it be if Coach Greg Popovich ran for the Senate? Ted Cruz wouldn't have a chance. Now, I'd be honored to have him on this show one day. Coach Pop has been an important voice over the last year, challenging Trump's hate, supporting calls for racial justice reform, and reclaiming true patriotism. Our country is at a crossroads, and each of us must decide where we stand. I stand for truth over lies. I stand for equality and categorically reject white supremacy. I believe in compassion and decency. I believe our veterans are true American heroes, not suckers, not losers. I believe all Americans deserve access to affordable health care. I believe a presidency should be transparent, not veiled in deception. I stand for justice for all. Popovich is a voice of truth, strength, and unity, and he's a helper. And now he's encouraging folks to follow the science and get the shot. I'm going to get the COVID vaccine shot. It'll keep me safe, keep my family safe, keep other people safe. Wearing masks is important, and to get the vaccine does give you an added level of assurance. That's done. I didn't even feel that. Science-wise, it's a no-brainer. It's the right thing to do so we can all get on track again. Let's do this together. To learn more, visit cdc.gov. America is a team game. And so is fighting the virus. And so is getting back to normal and bouncing off bottom. More than 52% of eligible people in the U.S. have gotten at least one shot. And we've made massive progress. But the pace of vaccinations is slowing down because some people are hesitant, especially rural people and Republicans who believe the risks from the virus might be overblown. And here's the sales pitch for them I want you to try. Talk to him and ask him this. Hey, you want to go to a baseball game this summer? You want to go to a country music show this summer? You want to have a good time, be free of barriers, and be truly independent? Get the shot. If you won't do it for others, do it for your selfish self. Make sure you don't miss out on anything. Get the shot. Get the vaccine, people, and help others get the vaccine. Tell them to have the courage or just a selfish pragmatism, but do the right thing. Be like Coach Popovich. Be like Dolly Parton and the Dalai Lama. Be like the four presidents and Sammy Hagar and Ron DeSantis and Sarah Palin and John Stewart and my mom and my wife and me. Get the vaccine and don't miss out. Pull that arm out. Listen to Dolly. Don't be a chicken squat. Get the shot. It's an easy way you can be a helper, even if you're just helping your own damn self. And help this team finish the fourth quarter and bounce off bottom. My thanks to all the teammates and helpers that made this episode possible. Thanks especially to Paul Begala. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. Look out for him on CNN. Check out his book, You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. And go back and watch the 1993 classic political documentary, The War Room. It's inside the Clinton's campaign for president during the 92 presidential election. It's amazing. And here's a reading recommendation. Check out What It Takes by Richard Ben Kramer. I was assigned it in college, and it remains one of the best political books I've ever read. The Cleveland Plain Dealer said, 
It's quite possibly the finest book on presidential politics ever written. So check out that book that covers Paul and his entire crew back in 92. And if McConaughey runs, watch to see what Paul does. Maybe he'll go work for him if he's not an independent. But independent Americans are the future. And even though Paul and I disagree on the potential and many other things, he represents much of the independent spirit that makes this country great. And he's a leader, most of all in his example, especially as a husband and a father. He's a true helper. And my big thanks to some other helpers, of course, the Righteous Media team that powers this and everything we do, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paula Hernandez. They make this show possible. They also make our new show, Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast Possible. Episode four is up now. Go check it out. It's a cat extravaganza. It has cat stories. And Rick and Sharon dig into some other stuff, too, like the great pandemic haircut debate, the magic of canned tomatoes, an introduction to a mysterious new musical instrument, and Rick and Sharon debate time travel versus flying, and share the world premiere of Rick's new animal song, Cat on My Back. It's another heartwarming episode of Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast, powered by Righteous Media. Check it out everywhere you get your pods or at everybodypod.us. It's good stuff, and I hope you thought this episode was good stuff. If you like it, please go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. Be sure to subscribe for free and share. Visit us on social media and check out independentamericans.us. There are links to all our social there and our new merch, which is hot and ready, and you can order it now in time for Mother's Day, which is coming soon, or Father's Day, which is also coming soon. Get some gear for your favorite independent mom or dad. Go to independentamericans.us to see what's there now. We got camping mugs, hats, t-shirts in over a dozen colors, and you can get the especially cool-looking black one that I wore for my conversation with Paul Begala. You can see them all at independentamericans.us. You can also see video of this conversation with Paul Begala. You can see inside his farm. You can see all his UT gear, and you can see over 100 other episodes with leaders ranging from Henry Rollins to Chuck D. And with the NFL draft happening and sports back in full swing, you can check out sports leaders like Joy Taylor, co-host of The Herd with Colin Coward. You can check out legendary NBA reporter David Aldridge from TNT and The Athletic. Listen or watch my conversation with actor and icon Rosie Perez. We talk about boxing and much more. And director Peter Berg and I talk about the making of Friday Night Lights and the most legendary NFL Super Bowl commercial ever. They're all on the Righteous YouTube page and at independentamericans.us. If you're part of that growing percentage of Americans who are independent, this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, but you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. Even if you're Paul Begala, this is your show. All are welcome and we invite you to join us and be a part of the future. Just like our fearless Patreon members, my thanks always to all of you who are already part of the vigilant, the very vigilant, the most vigilant. If you're not in that club, you can join us for exclusive access and events by becoming a member of the Independent Americans Patreon community. You get access to events, guests, merch discounts, and exclusive content. And we will have another special Independent Americans Happy Hour coming up next month. Save the day, people. Thursday, May 20th at 8.30 Eastern. And we're switching it up. On this one, we're opening it up to everyone. Even if you're not a Patreon member, you're invited. Patreon members are going to get special early access. But after that, we're going to open it up to anyone who wants to join us. So check it out at independentamericans.us. And I hope to see you there.
As we continue to bounce off bottom, I want to thank, of course, my wife and two boys. I teach my boys all the time. America is a team game. Family is a team game. And life is a team game. And team games are finally fully back now. And for your five-year-old flag football update, our LA Express were victorious yet again. We had a huge fourth quarter comeback to bring our record to 2-0. We finished the game 26-22 with a late fourth quarter, amazing, spectacular run by our star running back, quarterback, and linebacker. And we held them off on defense. But team sports are back. And my son also started T-ball. We had our first practice. The mighty Giants are looking good. And T-ball on a spring day is just about the best thing ever. And everyone's just happy to be out, to be talking, to be able to play on the playground after. And in a big but unrelated piece of news from our house, my two-year-old River peed in the potty. Yes, people, this is big news in America. River peed in the potty. When the pandemic started, he took his first steps. Now... He's peeing in the potty and talking up a storm. And he's ready to join Team America this summer. Things are already so much better, folks. But we got to keep the teamwork. We got to keep the focus and we got to finish the job. The fourth quarter of our fight versus the virus is here. And it'll require a total team effort. One for the ages that we'll never forget. When I feel that chill, smell that fresh cut grass. Back in my helmet, cleats, and shoulder pads. And Independence Day will be our ticker tape parade. Our VC Day will be Independence Day. And I'm going to throw it out there. We should have a ticker tape parade in New York City. I don't think Mayor Disaster Bill de Blasio listens to this show, but do me a favor and let him know that he should have a damn parade for America when we beat this thing. It'll also raise morale and bring tourism back to New York City. But that will be our day, America's day, your day, a day when we can all declare our independence and our freedom from the virus. America's bouncing off bottom. We're deep into the comeback, but we got to finish the job and close it out as a team, just like a football team in the fourth quarter. The boys of fall in many parts of the country are the boys of spring this year, and the same with the girls. Fall and spring sports are happening this spring all across America. And it's a great reminder of the importance of connection and teamwork. And a reminder that we can all be united, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, around sports, around kids, and around life. I always play a lot more Kenny Chesney when the weather gets warm, and especially in the summer. I listen to songs like this and his No Shoes channel on Sirius XM because they're about happiness and about celebrating life. Last year for my birthday in January, my wife got me Kenny Chesney tickets for last summer. That concert got canceled or postponed, but they canceled it again for this summer. But I know for sure now that one day I will see that show with my gorgeous wife. Country music, outdoors, with a beer and a smoke and a few tens of thousands of people I've never met before. We'll be united by the night, we'll be united by the music, and we'll be united by our shared experience. It's coming. I know it's coming. And until then, I'll celebrate life, encourage that teamwork, and crank up the music. And we'll keep this movement growing week by week by week, and we'll stay vigilant, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And with hope in our hearts, 
It's how we got here. And it's how we'll get to even better days ahead. Days in the future with no pandemic, with no troops in Afghanistan, with no Donald Trump, and with free pre-K for kids everywhere. Imagine that. Free pre-K for three and four-year-olds in America and free childcare for their parents. It'll be transformative and it can happen. And our kids can go to schools on roads that aren't crumbling, over bridges that don't collapse, and into schools with good ventilation and good broadband. Take that, China. It's more than possible now. It's likely. If we finish the job and stick together as a team. So pass that hope. Pass it. And know that you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in this bounce together. From Paul Begala to Carl Rove, from Ted Cruz to Coach Greg Popovich, from Oliver North to Mayor Disaster to Andrew Giuliani to Kenny Chesney. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay frosty and stay vigilant, America, because we're bouncing back. You mess with one man, you got a song.